and good morning. If you have your Bibles, why don't you go ahead and grab those and turn with me to the book of Ephesians chapter 4. The book of Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, if you're new to our church, uh, our church believes in studying through the Bible uh, and studying verse by verse. And uh, we, are gonna, we have been uh, in this series in the book of Ephesians. And so we're about halfway through that book, but if you're just new or you've forgotten what's going on, don't worry. I'm going to catch us up here in just a moment. Ephesians 4 verse 1 is where we're going to be. Um, my wife Katie is an amazing cook, and so I really uh, love and am blessed by that. And recently I have been uh, just, I don't know, learning more about cooking and learning more about uh, the, the art of preparing food. And I really have discovered something that I think is pretty key to cooking, and it's pretty much, I would say, cooking 101. And that is, uh, the, the more that you prepare a food, usually like the better the food is. And here's what I mean by that. You can go to the store and buy a Brussels sprout and pop it into your mouth, okay? But nobody wants to do that. It's going to taste terrible. A Brussels sprout is going to taste much better if you put maple syrup and olive oil and butter and bacon on it, Right? It kind of eliminates the point of the Brussels sprout, but it at least makes it easier to eat. And so this week, um, I got uh, just, I felt like, man, you know what? I really want a steak. I don't know, like every three months, I just get hungry for steak. And so this week, I got hungry for steak. And so I told myself, listen, Brian, you deserve the best. And so go and buy yourself a steak at the finest establishment that Melbourne has to offer. And so I went to Aldi. And I bought a steak for myself. Now, here's the thing. When the, the thing that I want to do is I want to buy a steak and then like right away throw it on the pan because I'm hungry to eat the steak. But the thing is, that's not going to be the best way to enjoy steak, right? Before you uh, throw the steak in the pan, what do you got to do to the steak? Yeah, marinate it, season it. Make sure to get all the good stuff. Let it kind of soak in the bag for a little bit. And then uh, after a couple of days, throw it in uh, the, the pan or throw it on the grill. And that's the best way to enjoy it. You got to prepare. And there is a correct order that has to happen for maximum experience of the steak. Okay, here's what I will say to you. We are at a pivotal moment here in the book of Ephesians. In the first three chapters of Ephesians, what we've been studying over the past few months uh, that really is part one of Ephesians. And a, part one of Ephesians, chapters one through three, is all about what God has done for us. Today, as we enter into chapter four, we are going to pivot, and chapter four through six of Ephesians is all about what we are supposed to do for God. But it's really important that we get the order correct. The Apostle Paul, when he wrote the book of Ephesians, he was very intentional in how he structured the book because he wants us to get the order correct. Otherwise, we're not going to be able to experience our faith in the proper way. I want to look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. And by the way, we're going to read through verse 16 today. But we are going to camp out for a good bit of our time here in verse 1. So if you're sitting there and you're like, man, he hasn't gotten past verse 1 yet, this might go quite a while. Um, don't worry, we're gonna speed up as we go. So Ephesians 4 verse one, it says this, as a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. And so Paul explains a couple really key things here. He says that 
you have a calling from God. There is something powerful that God has done in your life if you're a Christian, but then there's a proper response to that calling. And the proper response is you are to live a life worthy of that call. I think about when I think about living a life worthy of the call, I think about when you get invited to a wedding, um, there is oftentimes a dress code in the wedding. And you look at the bottom of the invitation and you see, okay, is this a casual wedding? Is this a black tie wedding? Is this sort of business casual? Because you're trying to discover, okay, I don't want to show up to a place and, and be dressed the wrong way. I want to I show up worthy of the calling that I have been given to be at this wedding. Um, a couple of, of weeks ago, I made a huge marriage mistake, okay? Um, my family, we were up in North Carolina with my family, and I was invited. It was really cool. I got a chance to baptize my niece, and it was such a huge, uh, huge celebration. And it was just going to be like an informal baptism. But uh, my family's from kind of a small town in North Carolina. Think like southern men and women, southern gentlemen and ladies. And so I knew in the back of my mind, this baptism ceremony, like people are going to dress up for it. And so me and Katie were going and she walked down the stairs and she was dressed in like a short and t-shirts. And I just thought to myself, she's probably a little underdressed for this. And I never said anything. Yes. Um, so um, yeah, you guys know, like I got in trouble. We pulled up and she was like, did you know everyone was going to be like this? And I was like, yeah, didn't you know everyone was going to be like this? So I really messed up bad. We're called to live a life worthy of the call that, that, that God has called us to something. We want to respond the proper way. And so if you're here and you're a follower of Jesus, if you're a Christian, there should be this part of you that says, I, I want to obey God. I want to walk in a way that's worthy of what God has called me to. But this is the big idea that I want us to think about. That, and you can write it down. That uh, you have to, the, the, the best way to walk is to sit. The best way to walk is to sit. You know, we have been in this series and we've called it Sit, Walk, and Stand. The reason is because throughout the first three chapters of Ephesians, the, the Apostle Paul has been explaining to us, here is all that God has done in your life. But before you do anything, before you walk anywhere, God has done something amazing in your life. And now anything that we do should be a response to what God has already done. So, so the best way that we could walk out our faith is to start by sitting. And so I want to take just a moment and I want to recap some of the things that we have seen God do in the first few chapters of Ephesians. That, that word sit, it is referencing when Paul says that we are seated with Christ in the heavenly realms in Ephesians chapter 2. And what this means is a couple of things. Look on the screen with me. What does it mean to be seated with Christ? Well, first off, we see that we have been given every spiritual blessing. And for you and for me, when we have a chance, uh, when we have a relationship with Jesus, God has already given us everything that we need to walk out that faith. He's blessed us with that already. We also see that we are loved and that we are chosen by God. The scripture says that even before the, the world began, God looked at us, he saw us, and he says, I, I want to choose you to be part of my family. I love you enough to pursue you and to invite you in. 
We see that we are made alive and that we were spiritually dead, but God has made us alive. If you're here and you're a Christian, what that means is that God has done a miracle in your life. Every single person here was born spiritually dead, born with our sin separating us from God. But God has made us alive with Christ when Jesus enters into our life. We also see that Jesus is building a new humanity that when God saves people, he doesn't save people solo. He saves them and he invites them into a family. And the global church is this new people that God is building together. And then the last thing that we see is this, that Jesus is working with immeasurable power in the earth, in the church, and in our lives. So that's all that we've seen in Ephesians 1 through 3. If you want to deep dive into any of those things, uh, you can listen back in the archive to what we have talked about over the first few sermons. But Paul says, listen, but before you walk out your faith, before you're obedient to the call of God, you have to sit and you have to remember this is all that God has done for you. Here's the way that I like to think about it. Um, as you guys know, um, I am a husband. I am married to a, a beautiful woman named Katie. Raise your hand if you're a husband in the room. Okay, how many people who are husbands, how many know there are some, uh, there's a job description to being a husband? You guys know this? There are some things that you are supposed to do in order to be a good husband. If, uh, if you didn't know that, if you're just learning, um, like here we are, you know, like, like learn from this. There are some things that you need to do. Um, I, for, for me, I think about all of the kind of expectations that, man, I want to be a husband uh, that loves and cherishes my wife, that speaks kindly to her, that speaks patiently to her. I want to be a husband that serves in our household and that uh, helps with the kids and, and helps uh, with all of the chores and things that you have to do. I, I want to be a, a husband that pursues my wife and encourages her and, and, and makes time in our schedule for us to have great quality time together. I'm not saying I always do these things like amazingly. Um, remember the story I just told you. But I'm, I'm saying that's like the goal. Now, there are rules or there is a job description or there are duties that come with being a husband. But, but I think it's really important that I don't look at my role as just like, man, there is a ton to do around here. <laughs> like, uh, I, I got a chance, uh, Katie and I, we, we uh, just got back from a couple weeks of vacation. Um, one of the weeks, uh, her parents watched our two boys, and we just got away for a week. It was awesome, and we were celebrating our anniversary. It was just this amazing thing. And uh, while, while we were there, um, I, uh, I, I bought Katie, as, just to celebrate our anniversary, I bought her a necklace. And uh, it was good because that earned me some, uh, some favor for when I was going to mess up like a couple days later with the whole dress code thing. So praise God it happened. But like when I bought her a necklace for our anniversary, in my mind, I wasn't like, you got to be kidding. Every year, from now until one of us dies, I'm on the hook for at least one gift a year. <laughs> like that wasn't how I viewed things. Because my mentality was, man, I'm so grateful for all God is doing in my life. I'm so grateful for the story that God is writing with our marriage. And because of that, I responded in gratitude to show my love. And it should be the same thing with our relationship with God. You've got to sit before you walk. You've got to understand this is all God has done in my life. 
God has saved me. He loves me. He has an incredible plan for me. He has the Holy Spirit in my life. And because he's done all these things, now I want to obey. I want to walk out the calling that God has in my life. Now, now we, we've talked about this concept of sit and walk. I want to take a moment and I want to share two ways that we can apply this to our lives. First off, I, I want to share uh, a way that we can apply it to, if, if, to, to those of us who are parents and who are grandparents in the room. You know, it's really important for us to teach our kids the, the rules and, and, the, and the way that God wants our kids to act. Um, it's important to teach our kids right and wrong. Um, and I'm certainly grateful that my parents instilled in me um, the, the truth of the scripture, what God says is right and what God says is wrong. And so it's not a bad thing to do that. In fact, there is right now kind of this deception that's happening among parents where, uh, and, and I really believe it's a demonic deception, where uh, p- p- or parents are, are hearing all over culture, the best thing you can do for your kids is kind of let them discover on their own who they are and what the world is all about. And if you try to get in the way of that, you're going to hurt them, you're going to harm them, and you're going to have to sign them up for like years of counseling later in life or something. Okay, man, that is, could not be further from the truth. God has called parents to teach children right and wrong, to teach children what God says is life and what God says is death. And so it's so important that we do that. The Bible says that foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child, and it requires discipline and correction and teaching the truth to help that foolishness Uh, come out, okay? Now, I want you to hear that that's important. But remember, you got to sit before you can walk. And what that means for parents is, yes, we should teach our children right and wrong. But we also must continually teach our children the character of God, the love of God, continually teach our children the gospel which says God doesn't love us if we do the right thing. God loves us so much that he sent his son to save us. We must continually teach our children even how we as parents need the gospel, that we're not perfect, and that we need a savior just like they need a savior. And we need to continually teach our children that God has such an incredible heart and plan for them that God is just as not, it, God is more committed to them than they are to him. One of the things that I find myself saying up here often is that God is more committed to you than you are to him. And it's because I want to remind us that even though we do have a responsibility in our relationship with God, that that it's God's power and God's heart that is sustaining us. And so my encouragement to us as parents and as grandparents is we got to hit that just as hard as we hit the rules and the regulations. God's love God's heart, God's passion for his people. It's so important because some of us in here, we we have been raised in a very strict and a very legalistic environment. And maybe that's you. You grew up in a church where you just associated God with rules. He was like the great policeman in the sky that was out to get you. And I think it's so vital that our kids do know right and wrong. But, but Paul, when he's writing Ephesians, he opens and he says, I want you to know that God has given you every spiritual blessing, that God's heart is for you, and I want you to understand everything that God has done for you. 
And may that be our heart as parents. So that's the first application point. The, the second application point that I want to highlight for us is for all of us who are Christians. I believe if you're here and you're a follower of Jesus, that you want to do what is right. You want to obey God. But, but when we're fighting against sin and when we're fighting against temptation, and each one of us do, each one of us have struggles that really seek to derail us and seek to hold us back. For, for some of us, those struggles may be lust. For some of it, it may be addiction. For some of us, it may be just discouragement, anxiety, anger, comparing yourself to others. There's all of these different things, and I probably don't have to list off everything for you to know, hey, I, I know what I struggle with. I, I know what is in my heart and in my mind that I know is not healthy for me. Well, we have to fight against that. We have to walk in a manner worthy of the call, but we must remember to do that not based on just our own effort and our own muscle and our own trying to, to do it by the best of our ability. You, you sit before you walk. And the best way that I know to fight against temptation, the best way I know to, to build self-control and self-discipline is to remember all that God has done for me. To remember that it is his power, that it is his strength. And when I'm struggling, I try not to focus on my effort. Man, even this week, I think about times when I was facing temptation. I was facing discouragement. I was facing anxious thoughts. And I tried the best I could to reroute my mind to all that God is doing for me. The love he has, the heart he has. And it encourages and empowers me in my obedience. Amen? So that's what we're called to do. Okay, remember I told you we're going to spend a long time on verse 1. I didn't lie. Let's keep on looking. Verse 2, it says this. It says, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Here Paul is starting to talk about the practical ways that we can walk out our faith. And over the next few chapters, we're going to see all these different ways that practically we can walk in a manner worthy of the call that God has given us. Paul's going to talk about here's how you can walk out uh, your, your, your faith in your own emotions and your own thoughts. Here's how you can walk it out in your relationships, in your marriage, in your parenting, in your work environment. Here's how you can face temptation. There's all these practical ways that you can do it. Verse 4, he says, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. So here Paul, he, he's talking about the things that unify all Christians. A belief in God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, a faith uh, being baptized, a hope for heaven. There's all of these different things that unify us. And Paul, he was talking to an audience, to a church that was divided. There were Jews in the church. There were Gentiles in the church. And they were, they, they were allowing their differences to divide them. They were allowing their differences to kind of create barriers and separations between them. And throughout this book, Paul has been challenging them. We are one people. If you've been saved by Christ, what unites you, what uh, brings us together is far greater than anything that divides us. 
And so we can allow ourselves to look at the outward appearance or we can allow ourselves to create different categories or labels for different people. But Paul says really there's only two labels. There's people who are in Christ and people who are not in Christ. And if you are in Christ, you are united with everyone else who is. Now, as we've been reading, I'm guessing that really verses 1 through 6, if you were to read these on your own uh, in a time uh, with, with God, I, I would guess that they would really make a decent amount of sense to you. It's, it's pretty straightforward. But as we get to verse 7, and the Apostle Paul, in his writings, he does this sometimes. He kind of takes like a little detour, and he goes really deep. And so we're about to go really deep with the Apostle Paul. Look at verse 7. He says this. He says, to each of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. That is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean? except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions. He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So like I said, Paul kind of goes deep here. Let me explain what he's saying. First off, Paul is quoting from the Psalms, from Psalm 68. And he takes a psalm. He actually tweaks a little line of the psalm. He's allowed to do that because he's the apostle Paul. And he uses it to talk about this concept that Jesus descended and then he also ascended. And so what Paul is doing is he's trying to get us to think and to remember the story of Jesus. That Jesus, he was God. He was, uh, existed from all time, um, from eternity past. Uh, God, uh, he didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped. So he lowered himself and he... Uh, went from on high, and he descended onto the earth. And then, not only did he stay on the earth, but he died on the cross, and he descended again. He was buried, and he stayed buried for three days. But we know that he didn't stay dead. He rose again. That means he ascended. He, he rose from the dead. And then he, 40 days later, ascended again, and he went back to sit in heaven on the heavenly thrones. And so he uh, descended, and then he also ascended. And then Paul explains that two things happened when he descended and then when he ascended. The first one, he said, is that he took captives, took many captives. Now, this could mean a couple things. Uh, it could mean that when Jesus died on the cross, he defeated Satan, death, and the demonic powers. And this is true that he did that, amen? We could celebrate that, that Jesus defeated, he won victory on the cross. And so this did happen that uh, it says in Colossians that he took captives. But it also could mean that uh, when Jesus died on the cross and when he was buried and rose again, um, that the, the captives could be symbolic of people who put their faith in Jesus, that we could be like his, his servants or we could be his followers, that he actually um, gained people to, to follow after him and to uh, seek him. And those, the, those people who had died before Jesus came to uh, the earth, uh, they, they are in heaven. And now when we die, we are also going to be in heaven as well. So Jesus descended, he ascended, he took captives, but it also says he gave gifts to men. Now, I want to talk about this for a second because that word men, it could also mean men and women. And so he gave gifts to all of us. I want to talk for a minute about spiritual gifts. What Paul is saying is 
that one of the ways that we walk out our faith, that we live a life worthy of the call, is that we use the spiritual gifts that God has given us to bless each other and to bless the world. So let's talk about this for a minute. If you're here and you're a follower of Jesus, you have been given a spiritual gift. Now, what is a spiritual gift? A spiritual gift is a supernatural gift. It's given to you by the Holy Spirit. And the purpose of that spiritual gift is to bless the church and to bless the world. Here's how I like to think about it. Um, My son Isaiah, uh, he is three years old right now. And we are starting the process of training him to clean up after himself. And uh, before, you know, he got too, too much, or when he was one, two years old, it was just, it wasn't going to work out. You know, you just kind of like have to follow him and be his own maid service. But now we're getting to the place where it's like, all right, you're three. It's time for you to start pulling your weight around here, okay? <laughs> and if you have little kids, you know this. Like when they go into a room, it is as if a bomb goes off in the room. You walk in and you're like, I don't know whether to clean up or just to demolish the whole thing. And so it's time for him, you know, when he goes into a room, he, he makes his mess, and then he's like, I'm ready to go outside. We're trying to get him to say, okay, remember, it's time to clean up now. Now, what I have discovered is that it is far more efficient and effective if I do it by myself. And, and I'm somebody, like, I like efficiency. I like, like, tweaking and figuring out how to be the most productive at doing something. And so it kind of stresses me out because I'm like, I would rather just do it. Because I can do it way better and way faster than him. But, but my goal is not necessarily in this moment efficiency. My goal is I want to train him up and raise him up to be a, a man of courage and character. And I want to teach him to be responsible. And part of that is you got to clean up after yourself. And, and so in the same way, you know, God could have figured out probably a more efficient way to expand his kingdom. Like, if you had an angel assigned to Calvary Chapel to preach every week, like, I am 100% confident it would be a better message. Like, I literally think if, if every week we all showed up and there was an angel preaching, we would all leave every week and be like, that was insane. Like, that was the best thing I've ever heard. Instead, somehow, God in his wisdom and in his sovereignty, he said, like, you're stuck with people like me. And, and what God actually says in his word is that those of us who are in the church, those of us who are Christians, we are broken vessels. But God allows us as broken vessels to participate in his kingdom so that his glory can shine through. And so if you're here and you're a Christian, you have been given a spiritual gift. And that spiritual gift is to bless others. Now, here in Ephesians 4, Paul is going to talk about a specific type of spiritual gift. And in verse 11, he says this, Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for the works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Now, I want to explain verse 11. Here Paul is specifically talking about a specific type of spiritual gifts, and really what he's doing is he's talking about leaders within the church. From 
the time that the church began, God rose, raised up certain men and certain women to be leaders within the church and to help the whole church move forward in the mission that God has called them. And he really talks about five different types of gifts here in this passage. The first he talks about is the apostles. Now, uh, an apostle, um, we, we would say that there's kind of two different types of apostles. We would call them capital A apostles and then maybe lowercase apostles. So the capital A apostles, there's only been 12, okay? It's 11 disciples, the 12 minus Judas, and then you add the apostle Paul on at the end. And God used those 12 men to really start the church, uh, they were the 12 humans that kind of jump-started the church and built the church. We, we're not going to have any more capital A apostles. Those were men who were writing scripture. Nobody in here, nobody's like, hey, I came up with a new book of the Bible today. Um, so th that's not uh, our role. But there are uh, the gift of an apostle. And really what we would say an apostle is, is someone who is a leader of church leaders. Um, if you're familiar with the Calvary Chapel movement, I believe God gave Chuck Smith the founder of Calvary Chapel, that gift of an apostleship. He didn't just plant one church. He was kind of a pioneer or a father of many churches. Um, if you're familiar with kind of the church world today, um, I think about a guy like Craig Groeschel, who uh, he planted like 50, 60, 70 life churches, and uh, he's very, very influential in the global church. And so uh, someone like that, that's someone who has uh, the gift of an apostle. A prophet, you see again in verse 11, that is someone who hears from God and, and speaks from God and really provides direction uh, to the church and maybe even direction to church leaders. An evangelist is someone with the gift to go out into uh, the, the world, not necessarily to mostly minister to Christians, but to carry the gospel and preach the gospel to non-Christians. Maybe some of you guys, you feel like God has gifted you as an evangelist. You love going out and telling people about Jesus. And maybe you do it in a very direct way. Maybe you do it in more of an indirect way through relational evangelism. But there's a, you, you just love telling people about Jesus. And then we see the, the last couple here, the pastor and the teacher. Um, these are often combined together. And you're probably mostly familiar with a pastor-teacher because most churches have at least one, if not many, pastors. A pastor is just another word for shepherd. They are caring for and, and directing the congregation. And a teacher is someone who takes God's word, what I'm doing right now, and explains it so you can apply it to your life. So, so Paul's highlighting these gifts, but I want you to notice something about these gifts. I want you to notice something about these church leaders. Look with me at verse 12. God gave the gifts, and what did he give them for? Here's the purpose. To equip his people for the works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up. Now, this kind of flips on its head what some people think about the job of a pastor or the job of someone on church staff. Because a lot of times, when people look at the church staff, when people look at pastors, they think, pastor, it's your job to do the ministry, and it's my job to sit here and observe. Maybe if I like what you're saying, I'll tip you through the offering box, you know, kind of like the little screen at the restaurant, like, hey, good job, 10%. But, but really, like, it's your job to do the work. Here's what Paul says. Paul is saying, if God has called me to be a pastor, actually, my job is not to do the work of the ministry. 
My job is to equip all of the people in the church to do the work of the ministry. Verse 12, to equip his people for works of service. And so I, I wrote it down like this, and you can put it up on the screen. It says, I, what I see is that God equips church leaders. Leaders equip the saints. Who are the saints? The saints are all of us who are Christians. If you're a Christian, the Bible calls you a saint. And then the saints do the ministry. Christians are the ones who do the ministry. And so he, here's a couple of questions for you that, that I want you to think about as we think about this, this point. The first question is, do you know your spiritual gift? Maybe you would say, Brian, I, I just found out seven minutes ago that I have a spiritual gift. That's awesome. Praise God. But do you know your spiritual gift? Do you know that God has uniquely gifted and wired you to serve the church and to serve the world? If you don't know your spiritual gift, we have an amazing class called SHAPE. And the goal of SHAPE it is to help Christians discover their spiritual gifts, their heart passions, their abilities, and how God has uniquely shaped and wired them to serve. And, and we're going to offer this class multiple times uh, throughout the year. In fact, there's a class going on right now as we speak. There's about 30 plus people in that class discovering their spiritual gifts. We're going to run it again um, in, in the beginning of July. And so I want to highlight that and encourage you. Look out for shape, and if you don't know your spiritual gift at some point in the next year, take shape so that you can discover how God has wired you. The second question is, man, if you do know your spiritual gift, are you serving using that gift? And I want to just speak to and encourage, there are so many people here, and as I look around the room, I see a ton of people that God has gifted and that are serving using their gifts. Some people are serving in formal ways, some people are serving in informal ways, and, and God has wired and, and gifted you, and you're using the thing that God has given you to bless your family, to bless the church, to bless the world. And I just want to encourage you, if you are doing that, just leave here being encouraged that you're walking how God wants you to walk. Just be encouraged that you're doing the thing that God has called you to do. But, but then the third application point that I just want to highlight from this little section is this. Paul here talks about spiritual leaders. We, we need people who are called to shepherd and lead other people. And that could look like a formal thing. Some of us in this room, we may be called to be pastors, to be missionaries, to be church planters. And maybe you feel that you've been serving the Lord for a while and there's just a stirring in your heart that God is at some point calling you to more. We need people like that. Maybe there are people in here that you feel called to lead a small group or take a more active role in discipleship. And I just want to say, if that's you and you're feeling that stirring, talk to myself, talk to one of the pastors, talk to someone that you know uh, here at the church. But because we want to empower people and send them out into whatever God has called them to. All right, we're going to look to wrap this up. Look with me at verse 13. Now, Paul talks about that he's gifted the body of Christ, that the whole body should be serving together. He has a goal for this, and he's going to paint a very, very lofty goal for the church. Look at verse 13. It says that we're, we're going to do this. We're going to keep walking until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God 
and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Now, if you're wondering what that means, that is a crazy high expectation for the church. What, what, what Paul is saying is, here's the goal of the church. First off, everybody in the church be completely unified together in our faith in Christ. No division, all of us walking the same direction. Secondly, everybody in the church knows everything there is to know about Jesus and who he is. And then third, that everyone is becoming so holy and their character is being shaped so much by the Holy Spirit that all of us look exactly like Jesus. So how many think we have a little bit of work to do, right? <laughs> like sometimes I'm like, do, do we need to show up and do Sunday? Like I read that, I'm like, yeah, we probably should schedule a few more Sundays here. It might take like a couple more teachings to get to where we need to be. God has a high vo vision for us. And so we got to keep striving towards that vision. Verse 14, it says, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful schemes. What, what, what Paul is describing is that there are people that want to deceive us and people that want to pull us here and pull us there so that we're not focused, so that we're not growing, but so that we're pulled aside. He says, don't be like infants. You know, I think about uh, Isaiah. A child is, is selfish, but a child is also easily distracted. Isaiah has this spot in the house he loves. Uh, it's our freezer because there's popsicles in our freezer. <laughs> and every day he's like, 6.45 a.m., it's time for a popsicle. We're like, bud, it's not, it's not popsicle time. It's, it's 6.45 a.m. But right now, he is easily distracted. All I have to do is be like, hey, let's go swing. And he completely forgets about the popsicle, and he's like, sweet, we're going to go swing. But, but Christians can be like that, too. We could be focused on our relationship with Christ, and then the next moment, we could be pulled aside to something else, tossed here and tossed there. And Paul is saying, the goal is that you're mature. The goal is that you actually grow to a place where you're focused on what God has called you to focus on. And in verse 15, he says, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of Jesus who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So how are we mature? We continue to grow. We continue to seek him. And we continue to obey what he's called us to do. And God, by his spirit, unifies us together, brings us more in love with each other and more in love with him so that we achieve the purposes that he has called us to achieve. So as we wrap up, I just want to take a moment and pray. But, but as we pray, I just want to remind us of some of the things that we've talked about. Maybe there's people here today who are not Christians. And today you've learned that God loves you, that he died for you. He wants to begin a relationship with you. And so maybe today God would, in his kindness, draw you towards him. Maybe that there's Christians in here today. And you've been striving and you've been trying really hard. But today God wants to remind you, yes, you need to walk, but you also need to, to sit to remember that God loves you, to remember that he is working with you, to remember that he has empowered you by his spirit. 
Maybe there's some people in here that need to learn their spiritual gifts or that know them and need to step in and activate those gifts. Or maybe even you feel that call towards leadership and you just feel like, man, God, God's calling me. I want to respond in some way. So for just a couple moments, we're going to take a moment and pray. So let's bow our heads. God, your word says to be still and know that you are God. So for just a moment, we want to be still before you. We've worshiped, we've read your word. Now we just want to take a moment of quiet and just reflect. God, whatever you're speaking to us right now, each person is going to be a little different. But may we hear your word and may we say yes. May we not just be hearers, but may we obey your word. And whatever you're speaking to us right now, may we say yes. Let's just take a moment and be still before the Lord. God, I pray that those who need comfort will receive comfort today. That no, those who need to see you in a greater way would have their eyes open and their hearts softened. That those who need to be challenged, that maybe need a little spiritual kick in the pants would get that today. And God, I pray that wherever we are at, that we would say yes to whatever our next step is in following you. May we walk in a manner worthy of the call to which you have called us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. As we close out today, I just want to invite you, let's stand to our feet and let's respond one more time by worshiping Jesus. So if you feel comfortable, let's lift up our hands in the air and let's praise Jesus. He's good. He is more committed to us than we are to him. So let's worship him and let's sing one more time.
Halleluja. Amen. As you go, just a couple of things. First off, we are going to have a prayer team down at the front. If you have any needs at all and you need prayer, it's never, never uh, a, sh a shame or embarrassing to receive prayer. It's a beautiful gift that we get to do to, to get prayed for. And so I want to encourage you to come down and receive prayer. Um, also, if you're here and you want to begin a relationship with Christ or rededicate your life to Christ, our prayer team would love to pray for you. One of our pastors is going to be down here to pray as well. Uh, secondly, if, if you, uh, uh, our offering boxes are going to be across the back. One of the ways that we worship is by our generosity. And so I want to encourage you, you can give there. You can also give online. And then last thing, for those of you guys who are new, um, we are so excited for people who are new at our church. And uh, last service, our team met like a couple of different families that are coming. And so if you're new, uh, we have a center ring out in the commons called New to Calvary. Go out there. Some people would love to meet you and let you know about what is going on at our church. Don't forget, next week is baby bottles. Bring them back. Uh, until then, we love you so much, and we hope you have an incredible week. God bless you. We'll see you next time.